Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll be taking a look at the weather. And is there a warm-up in store? We'll talk about cowboy and cowgirl basketball, and we'll take a look at our Wyoming high school sports. And then we'll take a look at Yellowstone and its early days. And finally, we'll take a look at Fort Yellowstone and what it meant for the park. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here today on the 27th day of February. And thank goodness we're almost through the month of February, and March is just right here at the door. And we're just hoping that our weather will change again. As we said last week, we had, as I talked about on Monday, we had a storm warning out. It did hit, and I guess one positive thing, it wasn't quite as extreme as originally predicted, but we did get about five to six inches of snow here in Hot Springs County. But across the state, it varied. And, of course, we had winds and other issues, and we had a lot of road closures during that period of time, just like these past storms. And I think probably I'd, I'd like to see, I'm going to have to do some looking, that I-80 has been closed so much this winter, I cannot believe. I guess it'd be easier to say how many days it's actually been open. And um, so weather was was bad, wind and such, but here over the weekend it did get warm did see 45 degrees. We have a little bit of warm-up over the weekend on Sunday. And today we are a little bit cooler, but we're going to see a little bit of moderation. There's some forecasts. We might see some snow in parts of the southern part of Wyoming. But right now the rest of the week here looks pretty good, and we're going into March. And hopefully the days, of course, are getting a little longer. I hope we can get a little bit of a slowdown on some of this weather, at least stay away from the extreme temperatures, because we did get to 20 below last week for a few days, and that's always tough on everyone involved. But we're coming into the month of March, and here in the state of Wyoming, we do get some pretty good spring storms later in March into April, that we can get some heavy uh, wet snow. That seems to have been our past, but boy, this year, we are at a near record for the amount of snowfall we've had. It just doesn't seem to want to let up. So looks like maybe a little relief in sight. Hopefully we can get our roads and the weather slowed down and give our highway department a little bit of a break. They've been just working nonstop. We're trying to take care of keeping road open um, with issues with blowing wind, causing drifts and ice on the roads and such. So Hats off again to all the hard work those people do. But right now here in Wyoming, we look like it might be not too bad of a week. We're starting to see a little ray of hope that, hey, we're getting right around the corner of spring. And we'll start melting all this snow and and take care of this. One positive about this, I will say, when spring comes and we start warming up, it's going to be a gorgeous country out there. And turning to our history of Wyoming from T.A. Larson. I had talked about on an earlier show about a situation that happened with a rainmaker that they brought in to the Capitol and actually had his rainmaking equipment set up in the Capitol at the time years ago. But later on, rainmakers with more know-how than their predecessors of the 1890s offered their services after the Second World War under the supervision of a state weather modification board set up by the 1851 legislature 
Denver and California rainmakers in that year contracted with many landowners in nine eastern counties to seed clouds with silver iodide particles. Further contracts were made in 1852. After inclusive results, the landowners were unwilling to pay for further experiments. The Bureau of Reclamation, however, in the 1960s, supported experiments conducted on Elk Mountain by the National Resource Research Institute, which encouraged hopes that by seeding winter storms, and particularly clap clouds, the snowpack might be increased by 10 or 15 percent. I tell you what, if that was back in those periods of time, 1950 up to the 60s, somebody definitely overseeded our clouds this year with the amount of snow we had here in the state of Wyoming. Here in Potpourri today, we would like to first start off with some sports here in the state of Wyoming. Our Wyoming Cowboys and Cowgirls were in action over the weekend, and last night actually on Monday night, the 27th. Talking about the Cowboys, they did close out their home schedule last night against Nevada on senior night. Two seniors graduated, will be leaving the program this year, are Hunter Maldonado and Hunter Thompson. And the Cowboys came out on top. They're right in last place in the conference. Nevada's up near the top in third or fourth place. And the Cowboys just played inspired basketball uh, in front of a raucous crowd in the Dome of Doom. And they came away with the victory. So hats off to the Cowboys. The Cowboys, again, will be in action on March 4th as they travel to San Diego and take on San Diego State, who's the number one team in the conference. And they'll close out with their conference tournament. Again, as we've said, if you followed the Cowboys at all, it's been kind of a disappointing season for them. A lot of high hopes to start the season. And with injuries and some issues with some transfers leaving the program for whatever reason. They ended up with a limited team at the end. I think they had eight scholarship players. They played as real hard basketball. Didn't give up. They stayed with it. Hats off to them for doing that. But again, just not what they expected going in. And I guess maybe they can make some stuff happen. Maybe be able to spoiler here at the end of the season. We'll see how next week goes. The Wyoming Cowgirls closed out their season on Saturday night in front of a national TV audience as they took on the Rams from CSU, kind of a border war for the ladies. And they came out on top, just inspired basketball. Fun to watch the team play. They also had their senior night. They had two seniors. And one of those seniors was Tommy Olson, who is from Worland, which is just down the road from us here in Hot Springs County in Thermopolis. It was their last games. The Cowgirls will be in action starting the week of March 6th in Las Vegas. In high school sports, last weekend was the state wrestling tournament in Casper, Wyoming. After some issues with travel due to the storms that were going through, they've got those completed. They had their first girls' state championship tournament here in Wyoming, and it looked like that there was a big turnout on the girls' side, on the girls' teams. And the boys were outstanding again. A lot of great teams. There were a lot of four-time champions. So hats off to all the wrestlers. Regional basketball took place around the state in 1A, 2A. This weekend, they'll be in Casper for their state tournament. The final eight teams will be in Casper. The regional tournaments start this weekend for 3A, 4A. 
and then they'll be in Casper the following week. One of the teams that we follow are the Riverside Rebels. They're the 1A team from up in Basin, Wyoming. Their boys and girls were in action down in Lander. Unfortunately, the boys lost in two games. The girls finished second in their conference during the regular season. They ended up losing a heartbreaker on Saturday morning in a loser-out game. The winner of that game qualifies for state, and they lost to Little Snake River. After that last game, for those seniors, I always feel for them. That's their last competitive high school sporting event as far as playing basketball. And they have put a lot into the sport through their career. Hats off to all these young people that are participating in sports, involved with these team activities. I think it's important for all of them to be part of sports. I think it does a lot for our young people and helps shape their future lives. And finally today, I want to talk about a movie I watched recently, Anecdotals. And it is well done. Now this isn't a movie that's anti-vax. It's not geared for any side of the political parties, any political party. The producers actually, as she admits in it, she's a, a liberal. She's been a liberal her whole life. But that wasn't what she was trying to do. She wanted to have a outlet for people that are facing some real issues after having a vaccine and having vaccine injuries and that nobody's there really to help them. And it was... It was kind of heart-wrenching watching some of these people and what they've gone through. You won't find it in the movie theaters, but if you get on your computer and just put in anecdotals, you'll come up with the movie and sit down and watch it with an open mind. Today in our history section, we want to talk about a place here in the state of Wyoming that everybody recognizes wherever you go in the world. People know about Yellowstone, and Yellowstone is the oldest U.S. national park. It attracts some 3 million visitors every year to experience its many wonders. It's located in the states of Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. Famous for its geysers, hot springs, and free-ranging wild animals, Yellowstone is a seasonal wonder offering an abundance of activities for all ages and interests. Some 640,000 years ago, Yellowstone and its scenic views were formed when a colossal volcanic eruption ejected an immense volume of ash that covered all of the western U.S., much of the Midwest, northern Mexico, and some areas of the eastern Pacific coast, leaving a volcanic depression some 30 miles wide by 45 miles long. The eruption created what the early American pioneers referred to as the place where hell bubbles up. Geothermal wonders such as Old Faithful are evidence of one of the world's largest active volcanoes, which typically erupts about every 600,000 years. Though providing spectacular features that bemuse and befuddle the park's earliest visitors, the volcano is known to have been the largest to ever occur on Earth, resulting in the worldwide population falling as low as 10,000 people. The park was named for the Yellow Rocks, seen on the rocky cliffs along the northern portion of the Yellowstone River. The iron in the rock cast causes them to cast a yellow tint that the Native Americans first called Mitza Daza, or the River of Yellow Rocks. Later, French fur trappers translated this to Yellow Rock or Yellowstone. Gathered from archaeological evidence, Native American history here is said to date back as far as 12,000 years. 
These earliest people were known to have been primary hunter-gatherers who utilized significant amount of obsidian to make cutting tools and weapons. They may also have practiced some crude farming activities. Arrowheads made of Yellowstone obsidian have been found as far away as the Mississippi Valley, indicating that a regular obsidian trade existed between Yellowstone Native Americans and tribes further east. In 1806, when the Lewis and Clark expedition moved through the area, a man named John Coulter left the expedition, joining a group of fur trappers. Coulter is credited as being the first non-Native American to visit the region and make contact with the Indians. These Native Americans, referred to as sheep eaters, were a band of the Shoshone, who survived by hunting for bighorn sheep and fishing the headwaters of the Snake, Madison, and Yellowstone River. Coulter spent the winter of 1807 to 1808 traveling, trapping, and exploring Yellowstone before moving down into what would be known as Jackson Hole and crossing the Grand Tetons into Idaho. However, his adventure ended when in the fall of 1808, he was captured by the Blackfoot Indians. Stripped naked, Coulter was somehow able to escape. When he returned to Missouri from his adventures, people mocked his stories of steam rising from the earth and boiling mud as mad hallucinations, earning Yellowstone his first name as Coulter's Hell. In 1857, mountain man Jim Bridger led an expedition to Yellowstone. He also returned with stories of boiling springs and spouting water. However, because he had already earned a reputation of one to tell tall tales, his accounts were largely ignored. Tall tales are no, the stories told by Coulter and Bridger aroused the interest of explorers and geologist Dr. Ferdinand F. Hayden. In 1859, Hayden began a survey of the upper Missouri River region, accompanied by the U.S. Army surveyor W.F. Reynolds and Jim Bridger acting as a guide. Unfortunately, the party was able to reach the Yellowstone region due to heavy snows. Afterward, the Civil War stopped all attempts to further explore the region, and Hayden would not be able to fill his mission to explore the area for another 11 years. Before Hayden could return, another expedition was organized by a group of Montanans in 1870. Referred to as the Washburn-Langford-Doan Expedition, the group was led by the Surveyor General of Montana, Henry Washburn. Also, part of the group was a man named Nathaniel P. Langford, who would later become known as National Park Langford and the first superintendent of Yellowstone Park. Spending about a month exploring the region, the expedition named many of the sites of interest that continues to be used today. In the meantime, Dr. Hayden had been working with the government to sponsor a second expedition to Yellowstone and discussions were already in progress to make Yellowstone a national park. In early 1871, the U.S. Geological Survey sponsored Hayden's second trip to the park. Along with Hayden were naturalists, geologists, a landscape artist, and two photographers. Closely following the Washburn-Langford-Doan expedition, the group compiled a comprehensive report on Yellowstone, including photographs and paintings, which helped to convince the U.S. Congress to create Yellowstone National Park on March 1, 1872. Nathan P. Langford, who had been on the earlier 1870 expedition, was appointed as the first superintendent of Yellowstone. However, there was no money available for his salary, so he was forced to make his living elsewhere. During his five-year term, he entered the park only two times, the first as a guest for yet another Hayden expedition in 1872, and the second 
to evict a man who claimed ownership of Boiling River, a natural spring within the park. The second superintendent was a man named Pethelius Norris, who volunteered for the position. Reporting on the problems that he witnessed firsthand, Congress finally provided funds for a salary, as well as a minimal amount to operate the park. Additional superintendents followed, but without adequate help. Yellowstone's natural resources were being destroyed as poachers killed animals. Souvenir hunters broke off pieces of geological formations, and developers established numerous tourist camps. As a result, the park turned to the U.S. Army for help. In August of 1886, the Army arrived to begin what would be more than 30 years of military presence at Yellowstone. After living in temporary framed building at Camp Sheridan and enduring five cold winters, the Army realized there was no end in sight for the assignment and asked Congress for funds to establish a permanent post. Fort Yellowstone was completed by late 1891, and as more troops were needed, additional buildings were constructed, including officer quarters, a guardhouse, headquarters, stables, and barracks for the enlisted men. At the height of the Army's presence in Yellowstone in 1910, there were 324 soldiers stationed at Fort Yellowstone. The Army continued to manage the park until 1918, when the newly established National Park Service assumed management. Today, Yellowstone is one of the most popular national parks in the United States due to its numerous natural wonders. Visitors to the park will experience the sight of hot springs, canyons, geysers, lakes, and abundant wildlife. Activities for visitors include fishing, boating, hiking, camping, not to mention the opportunity to view wildlife, which include buffalo, moose, bighorn sheep, elk, and more. A couple of notice to potential visitors include, due to geothermal activities of the park, the odor of sulfur is common in some areas, and visitors with respiratory difficulties consult their doctors before visiting. Though they may look friendly, visitors should never approach wildlife. And staying on safe trails, as outside of these can be found boiling liquids and toxic gases. Lodging ranging from hotel to cabin accommodations exists at 11 locations within the park boundary. We'd like to thank Kathy Weiser of Legends of America for sharing this story with us. And again, we'll continue on on this series about Yellowstone Park, but it is a natural wonder that everyone needs to visit at some time in their lives. And it is definitely a place that's just unsurpassed with the magnitude of what is there. And as we said, in the sites that we have there with the buffalo, moose, bighorn, sheep, elk, and more. And as we know, there's been other animals introduced, and we always talk about the bears that are there. There are grizzly bears and black bears. Also, you'll run into the gray wolf that had been introduced in recent years. Just another fact about Yellowstone Park. The park was officially opened to autos in 1915 after a period of controversy in which it was argued that the park roads were too narrow for both autos and teams. But again, Yellowstone is a place definitely that you need to put on your list. If you haven't been to Yellowstone, or you can always go more than once, it's a place that you want to see here in the state of Wyoming. Finally today, while we're talking about Yellowstone, I want to touch base and 
Learn a little bit more about Fort Yellowstone. In August of 1886, men from Company M, the 1st United States Cavalry, Fort Custer, Montana Territory, under Captain Moses Harris, came to Yellowstone to begin more than 30 years of military presence in the park. At first, the troops lived in temporary frame buildings at Camp Sheridan, established at the foot of the Mammoth Hot Springs Terrace. After enduring five cold, harsh winters, the cavalry realized there was no end in sight for this assignment. Therefore, in 1890, Congress appropriated $50,000 for a permanent post. Fort Yellowstone was completed by late 1891. As more troops were needed, additional buildings were constructed, including officers' quarters, a guardhouse, headquarters, stables, barracks for the enlisted men, and non-commissioned officer quarters. In the winter of 1894, soldiers caught the notorious poacher Ed Howell killing buffalo. Because no laws existed to prosecute Howell, Public indignation caused Congress to pass the Lacey Act to protect Yellowstone National Park's birds and animals and punish crimes in the park. In 1903, a building was constructed to serve as the headquarters for the Army Corps of Engineers tasked with building and maintaining Yellowstone's roads and bridges. During their tenure, they constructed over 400 miles of road as well as building a hydroelectric power plant, which provided electricity for the fort buildings and developed a water system. In 1909, Scottish Masons began constructing sandstone buildings in the park, including the Bachelor's Officer's Quarter, which now serves as the Albright Visitor Center, two troop barracks for 200 men, which now serves as the administration building, and later the chapel, the last of the structures to be built in 1913. Before its completion, religious services were held in the troop mess hall, in the post-exchange, or in a private residence. The chapel continues to serve the community today. These buildings were built of native sandstone from a local quarry between the Gardner River and Mammoth Campground. In 1910, at the height of the Army's presence in Yellowstone, there were 324 soldiers stationed here, plus some families and numerous civilian employees. These troops staffed Yellowstone were stationed through the park in small details at various outposts. Over the years, the Army built several backcountry outposts to provide facilities for troops patrolling for poachers. Typically, they were about 16 miles apart, about a day's travel by horseback. Each cabin was built in a rectangular Rocky Mountain style with sod roofs and dirt floors, generally built on the edge of a relatively flat meadow. Each cabin featured one to two rooms incorporating sleeping, cooking, and work areas. Several backcountry cabins still survive today and are still used by the National Park Service for backcountry patrols. Updated today to include shingle roofs and concrete floors, they are located in remote parts of the park and are accessible only by foot or horseback. Fort Yellowstone was considered a prize assignment by many officers and enlisted men because of the post's good facilities, relaxed discipline, and interesting surroundings. But protection of the park did not suffer. When carrying out their duties, soldiers were ordered to conduct themselves in a courteous and polite but firm and decided manner when carrying out their duties. A year later, the federal government began to look at the possibility of establishing other means to administer the park. In 1912, President Taft, in a special message to Congress, said, I earnestly recommend the establishment of a Bureau of National Parks. Such legislation is essential to the proper management of these wonderful manifestations of nature. So startling and so beautiful that everyone recognizes the obligations of the government to preserve them for the edification and recreation of the people. The National Park Service Act was signed in August of 1916. 
Soon after, soldiers were discharged from the Army to form the first ranks of park rangers and a maintenance force. The National Park Service took over protection of Yellowstone National Park by arrangement with the War Department and with its hearty cooperation on October 1, 1916. Though local opposition resulted in one last episode of Army residency, the National Park Service assumed full administration responsibilities in 1918. Today, the Army's legacy is still visible in wood and stone and in the very survival of Yellowstone as one of the world's great symbols of a national park idea. Fort Yellowstone is also noted by conservationists to have helped define how national parks were to be managed. During the Army's tenure, they developed regulations that emphasized conservation and under their watchful eyes, features and wildlife of Yellowstone's national park were protected from vandalism and extinction. The National Park Service later adapted many of the policies initiated by the Army at Fort Yellowstone. The Army spent 32 years running Yellowstone National Park, the longest period the Army ran any national park in United States history. Today, the old post is the Fort Yellowstone Mammoth Hot Springs Historical District, designated as a National Historical Landmark on July 31st of 2003. Within the district is the administrative headquarters for the Yellowstone National Park. It is located in the northwestern portion of Yellowstone National Park, on an old hot springs formation. Numerous buildings from Fort Yellowstone's tenure continue to stand, including the captain's quarters, post headquarters, guardhouse, hospital annex, commissary and quartermaster stores, and several more. A self-guided trail directs visitors to these many historical buildings. And just an outstanding story from Legends of the West from Kathy Alexander. And I didn't really realize this at the time, that I, the times I have been in Yellowstone. And it just gives me another reason to make that trip up about 100 miles from here, where I live right now, take another look at Yellowstone, and maybe take a look at the remnants of Fort Yellowstone, part of our history of Wyoming. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming.